I think over the years I have been known to do some pretty questionable things from the pulpit to try to make my point, and some of you have walked away saying, well, uh, he shouldn't have locked his kid in a freezer, or he, he shouldn't have taken off some of his clothes in front of everybody, or he shouldn't have made poor Kip go around in a circle, and and so today is going to be one of those days. This is going to be one of those days where I think you're probably going to walk away and you're going to say, this sermon is not a good sermon. I've, I've been known to do that. It's It's kind of a gift that I have. But I think many of you are going to walk out of here this morning and you're going to say that this sermon was too explicit. You're going to say that I was a little too moralistic. You might suggest that maybe I was inappropriate. You may even argue that my take is unbiblical. You might walk out of here and say that I am judgmental. And you may say that I am a bad preacher and this was a really bad sermon. And you might be right on both counts, but probably not for the reasons that you think. You also may think that that this is unfair, that you're a captive audience, and that you're stuck listening to something that you really don't want to hear. And you might be right. In fact, as of this week, you just finished your 11th year of this sentence stuck with me. But as far as I know, the parole is not up and you're still stuck here in this prison with me. But I do want you to know this. My hope is not to come across as judgmental. My goal is not to be vulgar for the sake of shock value. And I don't want to hold you hostage and assault you with unchristian words or thoughts. I don't want to expose your children to a side of this culture that will lead them into a dark place. I shared with Lance this morning that no one is going to like this sermon, and his response was, will the Lord. And so I just want to pray for a minute. God, this morning, I pray that the message that is shared is not going to be my message, but it's going to be yours. That the words that are spoken are not in judgment uh, or in hate uh, or, or just to shock people, but instead to open up our eyes to what a world is like when, when we don't welcome you in it. And so, God, I just pray that that my humility uh, and and that my honesty uh, will not be an affront, but instead that you will just speak through me and that if anything good comes from the next few minutes, it'll be from uh, you and it will be for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, I've, I have been preaching now. Um, I, it's, I, I've kind of gotten used to it, I think. I don't know that you have, um, but it's not very often that I'm sitting in the seat right before I'm supposed to get up, and I'm just literally shaking about what I'm about to say. And so I don't, I don't know how you're going to take this. You may not like this at all, 
Again, I, my prayer is that this is going to be something that, that pleases God. We're going to spend some time in Esther chapter 1 this morning. If you want, you can turn to it. You may be familiar with it, especially if you've been in a life group. I'm kind of sharing some things that I've mulled over this last week. If, if you're in my life group, you're going to be like, oh, he was ranting a little bit about this last week. And so you're going to get a, a revised, expanded version of this, hopefully not too exhaustive. But I just, I've, I've really thought a lot about what's happening in Esther 1 and, and then again in Esther 2 and, and where does it lead us. Now, I do want to let you know I'm not going to be reading everything, so I'm going to be skipping around just a little bit. And so you'll bear with me for just a second. I'll start off with verse 1 and then we're going to go to verse 4 and then 8 and then it's all over the place. But I'll start in verse 1. This is what happened during the time of King Xerxes. For a full 180 days, Xerxes displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days. So we've already got a little bit of the story. King Xerxes is now in his third year of reign. Uh, the first three years are in his fourth year. His first three years were really tough. There were battles, there were wars, there were losses. But now they were in a time of prominence. Things were going well. And so he wanted to show off what he had. And he wanted to have a party at the end of this. And it's going to talk a little bit about that party. But let's pick up in verse 8 and read this. By the king's command, each guest at this seven-day party, everybody, all the men were invited to his party. Each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. So the wine is flowing, a seven-day party, it's open bar, he's giving out the best stuff to everybody, right? Maybe he's making amends because they've been through a really tough period or maybe this guy's just extremely arrogant and he has no idea what his people have been through. Nonetheless, he decides he's going to have a party and then Queen Vashti, verse 9, also gives a banquet for the women of the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, this is where we lose the PG rating, okay? On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded that Queen Vashti to come before him wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. So let's stop for just a second, and let's be completely honest. Again, this is not a Sunday morning Bible class sermon. This is not what's going to be played out on the blue flannel board in your kid's uh, five-year-old class. So here's what we know. King Xerxes is smashed. He's drunk. He's been a part of a imbibing of a, a drunk fest for the last seven days. And he has this brilliant idea. He says, hey, why don't I invite my wife out in her crown and, and everybody can look at her? Well, you kind of have to read between the lines, but it seems to imply that the only thing that the queen would be wearing was a crown and nothing else. He wants to drag out his wife in front of everybody else and say, look how good looking my wife is. It's really kind of, you're like, this is in the Bible? Or are we reading about this? And then Queen Vashti, and halfway through verse 11 says, Queen Vashti was supposed to come before him wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to all the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But listen to this. But Queen Vashti refused to come. 
Then the king became furious and burned with anger. And so he's upset, he's embarrassed, he's drunk. He asked his wife to come out and do a little dance. Everybody there, all the guys there. And she says, I'm not going to do it. Now for some reason, I don't know why, we don't hold up Queen Vashti like we should. Because when she was told to do something that she knew was wrong, she says, no, I'm not going to do it. And if I want to just stop there for just a second and address you young people, you need to know whether you're ladies or you're men, there are going to be some things that people ask you to do. And you've got to be strong. You have to say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And Vashti agrees. She says, I will not do it. And she knows that there's a lot at stake here. That if she refuses to do what the king wants her to do, she could be in really, really big trouble. And she says, no, I won't do it. This is a word, young ladies, you have got to put in your vocabulary. Young men, you have got to get this in your head. When people ask you to do things because everybody else is doing them, you just have to say, no, I won't do it no matter what the cost. And Vashti says, no, I won't do it. And Xerxes gets mad. And he says, I've got to do something about it. So still in his drunken stupor, picking up in verse 15, he goes to his wise men and he asked, according to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of the king Xerxes that the eunuchs have, uh, that the eunuchs have taken to her. And they replied, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of the provinces of King Xerxes. Did you get that? Are you hearing what's going on? Who's in the wrong here, people? Help me out. Xerxes is in the wrong. She's doing what's wrong. But all the people around her make her to be the freak. The weird one. The one who was, wouldn't do what everybody else wants her to do. And so now it's on the line for her. And they said, she has caused a problem. And because she wouldn't go out and do something lewd and disgusting in front of all these men, that all of a sudden she's done this great, terrible crime, not only against her husband, not only against the other drunk guys at the party, but the whole land, that's what they're trying to make out of this woman who wouldn't go out and dance in front of them. Verse 17, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the women of all the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. How unbelievably stupid and chauvinistic are these guys? Basically, they're saying is this. Listen, if you tell your wife to go do something lewd and inappropriate, and she doesn't do it, then guess what? Our, our wives may wisen up and they may decide that they're not going to go dance and do a little show in front of a bunch of drunk guys too for my own joy and pleasure. And they said that can't happen because women are objects and if they don't do what we tell them to, 
then we have got to punish them. They are merely possessions. Right? Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, uh, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of the king Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all the vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. So here's the deal. Xerxes is embarrassed. He's embarrassed that his wife didn't do what he wanted her to do. And he doesn't want it to get out that other people now know that she didn't do what he wanted him to do. So what is his response? I'm going to tell everybody that she didn't do what I wanted her to do. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is adolescent and it is terrible. He wants to get back at her any way that he can. And so he decides he's going to go tell everybody, well, she didn't do what I wanted her to do. And ladies, you're going to hear this. There are going to be guys who are going to ask you to do stuff. And they're going to try to say, if you don't do this, you're the weird one. And if you don't do this, I'm going to go tell everybody else about this. I wish this wasn't the culture that Esther had to grow up in, but it was. And I wish this wasn't the culture that my two daughters are growing up in and that your daughters are growing up in, but it is. It's what we live in right now. And I just want to ask for a second, how does our culture compare? How does America compare to what was taking place at this time? Well, years ago, they, you know, the web, website, uh, the World Wide Web came out, and they had websites that were formed, and there was ones called like eHarmony and Match.com, some of you may be familiar with. They would have you take all these tests to figure out like, they try to match you with somebody who's going to be compatible, somebody who you can have a, you know, a long-lasting monogamous relationship with. Then they added some, some others like Christian Mingle. For those who are Christians, they could find somebody with like-minded value or, or silver singles for those who are a little bit older and they wanted to find somebody. Or my favorite, farmers only. I just, that's, I just if nothing else, if you hadn't seen those commercials, Google farmersonly.com. The, the, those are great. And those were like starting to get people connected. That, those were the dating websites that were available 10 or 15 years ago. Do you know what kind of websites they have now to match people up? I'm not going to ask you if you know any of these. I had to do a little research on these. I didn't know much about them, but I had to be careful about how I was going to use my Google web search to make sure that I didn't find anything I didn't want to see. But here's, here's some of them that, uh, that are available now. And instead of Match.com, guys are getting and women are getting on a thing called Tinder. Uh, or there's a one a website for, for males only. It's called Grinder. Then there's Blender. Then there's Pure. Pure is actually, it's dedicated for multiple partners at the same time. Uh, there's Scruff. There's Her, which is lesbian onlys. Uh, and these, we, these dating sites are not dating sites. They don't ask you a bunch of questions about what you like. 
there's two things that they want. They want a picture of you, and they want to know your location. Why is this important? Because like Tinder and Grindr, what they're looking for is they want to know how many people also have that same app or within a one-mile radius that you can hook up with right now. That's what they're geared for. That's all they're about. It's who's close enough who will go to a closet, a bathroom, a, a car, anywhere, and hook up, and that's all that it is. That is literally the type of society that we're living in right now. And I know this is explicit. I know this is something that you don't want to hear about, especially in church, but I just want you to know, there's probably not an adolescent in here who hasn't at least heard of Tinder. Okay? Th these are things that are happening right now. There's a website uh, for uh, fans only, I think is what it's called. I'm actually not real familiar with this one. But apparently what the deal is, you can take pictures of yourself, pornographic pictures, you can upload them, and you can have a little part-time side job where people pay money to look at you. And this, people, there's, there's one article in the paper uh, just recently in which a teacher quit her job. She got involved in Fans Only, I think is the website, and she is making more money showing pictures of herself on this website than she was as a school teacher. This is the society that we're living in. I know of at least two different um, busts or stings that have taken place in our middle schools here in Hobbs where boys have convinced girls, fellow students, 12, 13-year-old girls, to, to, to take a picture and send it to them, and they send it to all their buddies. And these girls are being told, if you don't do it, you're not cool, nobody will like you, you need to do this. And I know this is terrible, I know this is not something you want to hear, but I'm t as a parent, you need to talk to your kids. And I know you think this is a conversation that should have at 15, 16, 17, but we have to tell our nine-year-old kids, if a boy says, I want to take a picture of you, or you should take a picture of yourself, you have to say, no, I won't do it. I don't care what you say or what your buddies say. I won't do it. We are living in a hook-up culture, is what one website said. They went on to say, if 20 years ago, if having sex used to be taboo, then not having sex is taboo. That is expected for our pre-teens and our early teens to be involved in this type of lifestyle. Doug, why are you talking about this? This is not your place. This is not the place. But I'm just saying this is the world that we live in. This is the world that Esther lived in. Now, I want to ask you this. Did God approve of this lifestyle? Is this something that, that God wanted to have happen? Now, some of you, you're going to read ahead... Okay, you're going you're gonna to go to Esther chapter 4, and you're going to be like, but remember, Ed, Esther did something great. She says, for, for such a time as this, right? But I want to be completely honest with you right now. I don't think God was around in Esther chapter 1 and 2. Not because He couldn't be, but because He wasn't welcomed. 
when we were going through this last week, and I'm, I'm going to step on some toes here, but when we, if I haven't already, when we were going through this in our life group last week, you know, what, what Xerxes was doing, he, he, in chapter 2, he's going to go through all of the area that, that he has, um, uh, has rule over, and he's going to start picking out all the beautiful virgins. He's going to take them out, and he's going to put them in his harem. Right? Now, here's a couple things you need to know. Once they're in that harem, once they're with the king, they can never be married. Because there was a rule that once the king slept with a woman, she was not allowed to be married to anyone else. Can you imagine that your 12 or 13 year old daughter gets taken away from your house and is going to be taken into the king's harem? Can you imagine what it would have done to that girl? Can you imagine being betrothed to a woman to be married and the king come and take her away and now... She's gone forever. And so I heard some people saying, that's so, that's awful, that's terrible, why would he do that? And all I could think was, we have people who do this every day. And I know King Xerxes was terrible. And I know you're not going to like what I'm going to say right now, but here's something you need to know. If you're sitting there and you're judging King Xerxes for what he's doing with all these women, and you're wrapped up in a world of pornography, you are no different than what King Xerxes is doing. Some of you will convince yourself that you're not hurting anybody or you're not harming anybody for what you choose to look at and what you choose to do on your own time. But Jesus is very clear. He says, if you look at another woman with lust. It's just the same as committing adultery. And if you don't believe me, then he goes further. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. You see, we're living in a culture that wants you to accept a lifestyle that does not include God. And at some point, as a follower of Jesus, I have to be willing to say, I will not be a part of this culture. Churches have to look differently and act differently from the world around them. Young men, you want to follow God? That means that you live a godly life where you don't separate what you do on Sunday morning with what you try to do with a girl on Friday night. There, you cannot say, this is my life, God, you can't have it. I'll come to, and sit in a church on Sunday, but all the rest of the days are mine. God is very clear about that. Now there's one more thing I want to say about this before we close. We're going to get to chapter 2. And I am a little appalled and personally offended at some of the things that Esther chooses to do. Esther hides her, uh, her nationality, the fact that she's a Jew. She doesn't want people to know. 
she joins the harem, and, and granted, she probably didn't have a whole lot of say in it, but neither did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they said, hey, even if we die, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to give in to this culture. And she says, I'll do it. She joins the harem, and for some reason, we kind of like don't give any respect to Vashti for what she does. But then when Esther joins this harem and, and spends the night with the king... We seem to say, oh, she's doing what's right. That's what God wants her to do. I don't, I don't know that that was God's plan. But listen to this. And this is where I really want to get to. We have chapter 2 where she makes some decisions that I don't think would be pleasing to God. But guess what God doesn't do? He doesn't write her off. He doesn't say, you messed up so bad, there's nothing I can do with you or for you anymore. And so I want you to know this. If you've gotten caught up in that culture, if you've said yes when you should have said no, if you've given into the lies of Satan, if you found yourself in addictions, whether that's substance addiction or sexual addiction, I want you to know your life is not over. God used Esther in a, an amazing way, even after she had done some things that he probably wasn't real pleased about. But he didn't give up. And I want you to know that thousands of people were changed because, because um, Esther believed that God would give her an opportunity to follow him again. And so for this morning, I know what you're going to walk away with is, this is a terrible place that we live in. I hope you don't go home and Google Tinder, Grinder, or any of those other things. My prayer for some of you, honestly, is that you, you pull the plug. You cancel the Wi-Fi. You do whatever it takes to be faithful and know that even if we have said no to God, he won't give up on us forever. Let us be faithful people who looks different from this world because we have something so much greater in store for us and we can glorify him. This morning, I don't know exactly what an invitation should sound like. For some of you, you know where you are and where you don't want to be or you ought not to be, but you're really struggling. And I just want you to know that you're surrounded by people who are broken and who have made mistakes too. And we are fighting our way out of these same struggles that we have in our lives. And that if you come and say, look, I'm having troubles, I'm really hurting, I need help, what you're going to hear people say is, you know what, me too. That we've had struggles too. But, but with the grace of God, He can change our lives. And so this morning, as we stand and sing the song of invitation, I ask you to start a new life today and say yes to God and no to this world. Please join me as we stand and sing this morning.